last week a lot of you were here. Hope you had a nice uh, Columbus Day weekend. It's, uh, it's not really a holiday for a lot of people unless you're a federal worker, a state worker, semi-retired, or not a lot of people have that day off. Going to school. Yeah, going to school. Hey, or, nice. live or live in Massachusetts. That's right. You get Patriots Day too. Yeah. Thanks, Al. So last week we, we talked about we talked more about, about physics, and we're going to get into that a lot today. Not, I'm not going to get deep into science, but we're still talking about the genesis of genesis. And I've, uh, as, as I have come to learn it, it is so much better when you understand some of the, 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 um, the nature of the physical universe that God created and your relationship in that. And it, this physical universe's relationship to eternity, which we don't know much about. But as I'm going to tell you as we get along here, Reality is not what it used to be. Reality is not what it used to be. Now, what do I mean by that? You're going to find out, hopefully, in a few minutes. But, <clears throat> so we did talk about Bible is not only this timeline, if you see, let me close the laptop a little bit, you see the basic timeline of history, of this, of this time frame or this time space that we live in called time, this timeline that's carved out of eternity, if you will, from Genesis to Revelation and pretty much the way things track out. We also said here on, on timeline number two, where the books of the Bible fall as far as like Genesis to Malachi, which is all of the Old Testament, and then we come to the Gospels and the book of Acts, which, which moves over in from the Gospels to the church age, which is after Christ is resurrected and he sends the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, which is the official beginning of church, of, of, the, of the, uh, the Christianity, the way. And we have the rapture and then the book of Hebrews to Revelation really, it doesn't talk so much about what happens after the rapture. The, Revelation does that pretty well. But if you look at from Hebrews to Revelation, it gives you an idea of being ready, of being ready for the time frame of the tribulation and the millennium, which is how to live, how to be ready, the importance of certain things, which the other books talk more about the church age itself and, and the genesis of that and the, the Gentiles coming in and you know the letters to the, to the Romans and to the, the Corinthians and all those folks. So if we look at that, we're going to talk about grouping these books. The first group of, of, uh, that we're going to talk about is just roughly the first five books of Scripture, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We, ta we talked about those, and what are those named? What are those named? The Torah. Now, the Torah is the basis of law, and it's the five books of the law. But if you look at the actual translation of what the Torah means, it really means the teachings. And we're going to go through the history, but I'm, I'm going to give you an example. Like, for instance, Genesis. What does that teach us about? Basically, the beginning. And there's so much meat in Genesis, we are not going to go deep in any particular book. But we are going to stop and go a little deeper in some of the books as required. In Genesis, we're going to go a little deeper into these next few weeks because I believe that if you understand Genesis and the foundation it builds, you are armed and locked and loaded to understand the rest of Scripture. You will have no problem really understanding, maybe not the detail, but you will have no problem understanding the basis of, on which all else is, is built. And that's why Genesis is the first, the, first, uh, the first book. So that's where we're going to talk about. If you want to get your Bibles ready, you can open to Genesis if you like, because we're going to go there in a moment or two. Actually, I need to get a marker out of here because I'm going to show you something that you're going to find, I think, pretty interesting when we get into talking about the physical sciences. Anybody ever heard of particle physics? I think I asked that question. Anybody ever heard of the string theory? Right? We're going to talk a little bit about those things. If you haven't heard about it, don't worry about it. It's not going to get deep. But you, the light bulb will come on and you're going to see better your relationship to eternity and your relationship in this physical universe and why it was created just this way for you and me. 
right? There's, and, and we have a lot of scripture to back that stuff up, too. So, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1 and 2 detail the, uh, the creation of the universe and everything in it. Genesis 3 details the fall of man. Chapter 4 details the story of Cain and Abel, which is really about the first murder. The first murder. Gen uh, chapter 5 is the genealogy of Noah. You know, all of you who know the story of Noah know how greatly he figures in into all of this. But well, we're going to have to get that bigger room. All right, we're going to get the bigger room. Let's tell Joel we need the bigger room. Then chapters 6 through 9 are dedicated to the flood of Noah. Chapters 10 and 11 are the Tower of Babel. Now, if you've taken my class in Revelation, we talked about a lot about it in Daniel. We're going to dwell a little bit on that because if you don't know the Tower of Babel, you know the story basically that these men or these people tried to build a tower supposedly to reach God. Well, that's not exactly the case. But it was founded in this city called Nimrod. By the way, anybody ever hear the city called Nineveh? There's a few other cities too. Guess who founded those cities? This one man named Nimrod. And Nimrod figures so greatly throughout the thread of history that you will not believe what you learn about this man. He is affecting us today. He's affecting, especially when we get into the tribulation where Christians won't be here. But just remember, this is going to be a big thing. We're going to, we're going to talk about that because it also gets into another set of, of, not only we're talking about the physical universe here, we're going to talk about angels. We're going to talk about what, what, how they're built and what they can do and how they can interact some ways not very nicely with us in the physical universe. So we're going to map this, this beginning of Genesis with the physical universe, and then we're going to map in when we get to this Tower of Babel business, how the, lot of the, the, um, the other dimensions can map into us for good and for evil. And both of these together, by the time we get to the end of Genesis, which is then the call of Abraham, the history of his son, the son of promise, which is Isaac, right? The son, and then his son uh, Jacob, and then the beginning of the 12 tribes of this nation called Israel. And then, the, finally, we end up in Genesis at the end of the beginning of creation, where we have this gentleman named Joseph. And you know about, if you're a Christian already, or you know the Bible, he has a dream. And finally, his brothers want to kill him because they're jealous of him, but he really becomes the head of, of the Pharaoh, Pharaoh's household in Egypt. And then he saves his brothers from history, I mean, from history, from a famine. Uh, and, and the point is, is that we begin with Genesis with the creation of the physical universe. We move through the beginnings of God creating man specifically and then dealing with man initially and then dealing with also the, the mischief of the initial, the, the initial mischief of the beginnings of when angels, the fallen angels, deal with man and then deal with God's people. Everything God does, as soon as Satan and his demons find out, they always are attacking that particular thing. We're going to see a lot of that through Scripture. So we get introduced to that a little bit. Then we get introduced to this nation called Israel, which starts from a man who was a pagan, Abraham or Abram. Then we're going to get into the story of as this, as this nation starts to roll out, we have a ragtag group of people in this land called Egypt, and, the, and that's the genesis of the rest of the story. All right? Please turn to Genesis chapter 1. All, and I say this, all, let me repeat this, all of the doctrines, the major doctrines that we cling to have their roots in Genesis. I'm going to name them for you. And we will find every single doctrine, if you will, that's important to us to understand God and understand His plan for us and what we can rely on Him for. They're all given to us in Genesis. You may have never thought about that before, but as we study, you will see it. So let me give you these. 
The doctrine of sovereign election. God chooses a people. Did they choose him? Did Israel choose him? No. Why is he even bothering saving them? They have been disobedient and being punished and punished and disobedient. Why is he bothered? Is, is it because they're special? Why is, why is God still dealing with Israel and still has a future for them? It's because he made the covenant, and we'll see that covenant being ratified in Abraham's, Abraham's time, where he actually ratifies the covenant. Also, the fact that he says it in the scripture, it's because of my namesake, for my glory I'm going to save you. It's not because you're so great. But what do you think that goes for us too, isn't it? Amen. That's right. So, the sovereign election, salvation, justification by faith alone. No works, no law can save anybody. The believer's security, separation from God through sin, disciplinary chastisement for the believer, the rapture of the church. We're going to actually see that in Genesis. Divine incarnation of God into whom? Jesus Christ. Human and God at the very same time. Death and resurrection, the concept of what these are. The priesthoods, the Aaronic priesthood, Aaron the priest, and the Melchizedekian priesthood, which is the combination, which is more of the Christ-like priesthood, which is the combination of the king and the priests being put together in one form. You're going to see how this works when we talk about, as we get through scripture, you may not understand it now, but the Jews have a, a specific uh, set of duties for those who attend the temple or those who, would, who have high position in, in, the, in the structure of Judaism. Or, and, and, and that is the priesthood, and then we have the kingship. And they were always separate. They really never went together. Um, and, but they do in, Mil in, the in the Melchizedekian type of priesthood. We're going to talk about that. Then also we talk about, the, we're going to get introduced to the tribulation period and the Antichrist. The kingdom, which I said last week, is for whom? And only whom? The Jews. We're going to talk about the kingdom. And then finally, which we know about in Revelation, if you know anything about the end of Revelation, the restoration of what was taken away at the beginning, the tree of life. See, the tree of life will be restored. And that will be in Revelation. What we lost here through Adam's sin, and Eve, by the way, I don't want to leave the women out of this. So you're, not, you're not getting off scot-free here, women. Um, actually, you did it first. Yeah. But we were stupid enough to follow. Ain't that always the way? Isn't that always the way it works? Yeah, sure, honey. Oh, yeah. Okay, no problem. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> anyway. At least that's the way it works in my house. Right, Rachel? Yes, dear. Yes, dear. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I'm going to New York right after this, so I got a week where she'll probably forget about this stuff. <laughs> Maybe not. All right, let's start, <laughs> let's start reading in Genesis. just want to make sure this thing is working here. Okay, good. I'm going to read from uh, verse 1 to verse, verse 13. And then we're going to do some parsing. We're going to figure some things out here. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That settles a lot of things right there. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. Now, I want to also tell you here, and you all, you, a lot of you realize this, those of you who are new Christians or are not yet Christians may not realize this. This is not just about photonic physical light. Light and darkness are anti-each anti other, like antimatter, antimatter, not only in the physical concept where there is the absence of photonic light or the presence of photonic light, the light that we can see and the light that we can't see, the physical light, but there's also Shekinah glory, God's light. 
And there's also darkness, which is the absence of light, which is everything that's going to be the worst part of hell is the absence of God's light. I'm just going to side note here, and I said this before to a few of you, you know this. You ever hear the theory of relativity? Who wrote the theory, or who developed the theory of relativity? Einstein. Einstein. You know where he got the idea from, basically? This is documented. Einstein was a Jew. Now, he may not have been a, a, a devout Jew, but he was a Jew, and he was trained in the Old Testament. When he looked at the Hebrew, or the tra direct translation of the Hebrew, and he saw this, let there be light, and he started realizing, wait a minute, that light is different in, in, in Shekinah glory, God's light versus the photonic light. And he came up with the theory of relativity, E equals mc squared. That means everything in this physical universe is pretty much tied to the speed of light. That's basically what the theory of relativity is about. And he understood that because, what? Well, I was just going to say I mentioned that to Matt in the email. You did? I said that. Good, good, because it gets you thinking. All of these scientists, all of these people who, like me, before I understood God, I'm not a scientist. All of these people who believe that they know the physical universe and all oh, just because you know things and how they work uh, supersedes this thing called God creating it all. No, 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 no. It ties in so tightly. Men have committed suicide because they found that out because they don't want to believe in God. And we'll talk about a couple of those people who were wrong and decided they still couldn't believe in God. But so Einstein even knew the difference and came up and realized that the Shekinah glory is the reference standard of eternity. If God is all in all and existed before anything, doesn't that make him the yardstick by which everything is measured? And everything is relative to him. In the physical universe, everything is relative to the speed of light. And by the way, we thought up until very recently that the speed of light was constant. It is not. It has been proven that light has been slowing down due to the, the, the third law of, of, of thermodynamics, which is entropy. entropy. Light is slowing down. And that's one of the reasons why we think stars are more further away than they are because we've always looked at light as a constant. We're going to get into some of this stuff. But I want you to see that when men start looking into the physical universe and how it works, they cannot help but believe what Scripture says about the God who created it. And this is part of what you can do as you witness to people. Be armed not just with Scripture, but with an understanding, a basis, and that's what we're here to do. So that the more you understand it, the more you can articulate it to anybody and by the way, map it into their worldview. Talk to somebody from which they are sitting at that point in time. Didn't Jesus do that? We should be doing that too. As I said a couple weeks ago, you do not slam Jesus into people. It will not work. You bring them to Jesus. And how do you do that? By appealing to their sensibilities, by making them understand this stuff and making them think about it. And the Holy Spirit will guide them if God is calling them. And I have reason to believe he calls pretty much everybody, but his, his, his plans for them are, are, are between him and them. So God, uh, in verse 5, God, uh, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning in the first day. So by the way, when does the day actually start? The tomorrow actually start? Midnight. Well, not really midnight, but it's sunset. Sunset. For us, it's midnight. That's the point. And that's you made the point. So we're off, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's not evil that we're off, but it does mess up our understanding of how we can understand this. Um, we also have to understand that, the, that Scripture, if you start looking at prophecy and the timing of things, it's based on a 360-day year, not a 365 and one-quarter day year. It's also not based on the Roman calendar. So there's a lot of things that we're going to touch upon as we go along here, and you'll be amazed at what you'll learn if you don't know some of these things already. I mean, scripture will reveal itself to you if you know these basics. Time okay. also, especially like on uh, 
during the crucifixion and everything, if you read through there, you also have to know the longest Jewish, day. Jewish time versus human, I mean, versus our time frame. Right. Because the hours are different. The hours are different, right. And they say in Scripture, when Jesus was being nailed to the cross, it was, what, the third hour? The third hour. The third hour. You know why they said that? It's not because they want, nobody had a watch. Nobody really cared. Because if you look at the liturgy of the temple all the way through, remember all of the things the Jews did to, to commemorate God was all pointing to and, and, and in practice of. It was dress rehearsals for that period of time. The third hour of the day during the temple Passover liturgy is when they were tying the, 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 uh, that sacrificial lamb or the ram to the horns of the altar. As Jesus is being nailed to the cross, the liturgy pointed to him for, for centuries and centuries before that, every Passover where the sacrificial ram was being tied to the altar. You think this is coincidence? It's not. And that's why I keep saying to you, if you don't understand and I don't understand, well, let me put it this way. The more you and I understand God's appointed times, His seasons, which we're going to talk about right here, the more you're going to understand if you and I are just going to be Christians, where we're just going to look at all of the Christianity stuff we do, that's not necessarily a sin, but don't expect to learn much. Don't expect to grow any more than you are grown today. This is what we're here to learn. This is very important because I didn't know it at one time, but I learned it. And I'm telling you, this all opened up, and that's what I want for you. Uh, verse 6, And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and morning, and that was the second day. And then we talk, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get down to, um, to I'm going to save some time here. Ah, here we go. Let's go down to Genesis 1, verse 14. So now we're up to the fourth day of creation. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. So what is that? Sun? Moon? We all know that. And here is something we're going to talk a lot about. I want you to, want you to wrap, your, wrap your mind around this next little few words that a lot of us have glossed over. I glossed over for much of my Christian life. And let them serve as signs. There's a pregnant pause here. Signs. Let them serve as signs to mark seasons. He's not talking about the four seasons here because you know what? When the world was created, there were no seasons. It did not rain on the earth until after the flood. Because when, and the, the year was also 360 days until after the flood. Why? Because the flood did some dramatic things to this earth and actually, it seems very strongly, tilted it on its axis and did some other things where all of a sudden you had these weather patterns called seasons. Where the sun actually moves up and down in the hemispheres as you go through the seasons no matter where you are on the earth. The earth was not designed to do that in the first place. There was nothing but a canopy of mist around the whole earth. Men in before Noah's flood had never seen it rain. So when you see about Noah's flood, which you're going to talk about, it says it rained. It just didn't rain for 40 days and 40 nights. That was one thing that these people never saw. That's why they laughed at that little man building that big boat. It took them 300 and some odd years or however long it would take to do that. That was because, what do you do? They were landlocked. They were in the middle of the land. They weren't near any water. But when it started raining, it wasn't just raining for 40 days and 40 nights. The, 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 the aquifers of the world burst forth all over the world. The sloshing around of all that tonnage of water did something to the physical earth, which now is going to be corrected when we get past this point. 
There's going to be a lot more of this stuff, too. The nuclear war and everything that's going to happen in the tribulation, who knows what's going to happen to this world. That's why we're going to need a thousand-year millennium when Jesus Christ comes back, when he brings the kingdom in to rebuild everything. And then after that, we go into eternity with Jerusalem as God's headquarters. Jesus builds a brand new temple for himself, the fourth temple. And that is where headquarters for the universe and God's eternity will be. We'll be in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount for eternity on the fourth temple. It's a lot I've just thrown at you. But I want you to know this is what we're going to do. Yes? Because I never thought of it until you said it. With the canopy that was over the earth. Yeah. It It wasn't a can of peas. It was a can of pea. (laughs) I'm I'm teasing you. Um, Yeah. So that is what. How the the vegetation everything grew from that? Well, God created it first on uh, was the third day here. So He created. But see, He created these things, and then He created the the the. the, um, It's sort of like a greenhouse. Mm -hmm. It was more of a greenhouse effect, which everybody hates today. Oh, global warming, and let's not get into that. (laughs) <laughs> but it was, it was all done perfectly so that everything was watered and everything had, don't forget, they had underground aquifers, which were different. Um, and, and because it was a mist, now, it may have been stronger on some days than others, so things were watered in the, in the right way. I, I don't know the mechanics of it, but it was like a hydroponic garden where it never really rains, but it can drip a lot, things like that. Yeah, I, I never did it until I, yeah, that's right, because what we take for granted, that's why I just, didn't I say at the beginning here? Reality is not what it used to be. Even for us, as you learn here, you're going to say, wow, what I thought was true, I took for granted, ain't so true. Reality is not what it used to be. Yeah. So we have this essentially permanent cloud cover, this, this layer of moisture. Yeah. How did they actually see the sun? Well, it, it, it wasn't like so it was, it was, it was a greenhouse. Like a diffused light like coming off of there. Huh? Yeah, I, I, I can't answer that. I, it wasn't like it was a real greenhouse where there was a mist where you like, I can't see. God, God probably made it stronger on some days in some places and now I don't know because there were still winds and, and, and patterns that moved the stuff around but I can tell you that it's a fact that there was no seasons and rain and snow and things like that so yeah I, I don't know now also don't forget probably and again I have to say probably but it looks like this is the case that God had to change some of the dynamics of, of how the physical creation works now within the context of the earth now being messed up and the weather patterns messed up so that things could continue to grow and build and change, right? But if you look at us as, as human beings and animals and everything else, we're degrading over time too. Everything is dying. So he's probably doing some, you know, leverage work here and there to keep things going just for the 6,000 year time frame to the point where if he didn't fix it, the universe would, would die what's called a heat death. Again, thermodynamics. Water always seeks its level. Temperature always seeks to equalize itself. Heat always travels from the warmer thing to the colder thing, right? We should know that. The point is, is that when you have everything at the same temperature, there is no more energy transfer. When the universe is getting to the point of a, u- a uniform temperature throughout the whole universe, which is what? Absolute zero. That means there's no more molecular motion. Everything dies. There is no more physical universe at that point. We are getting there. Does that make sense? There's something God's doing to hold it all together called the strong force and the weak force in particle physics, they don't know what the strong force is yet because it's probably Jesus Christ holding everything together. They don't know what that is. Huh? Yeah, right. But they don't understand. Besides, reality wasn't, isn't what it used to be. Those people in the ancient days didn't know that stuff. Didn't change the fact that it was still true. So anyway, that's the, mo- the most important thing I wanted to go through on this. And then, and then, of course, God creates life and all of that and creates man. At the very end of Genesis chapter 28... God blessed them. See, well, 27, he creates man in his own image. A very unique creation. The world will not have you understand that. But you understand that. They think that it's okay to, 
to equate animals as more important as human beings. It's not true. We were told to be here. Let's see. I'm going to read it to you right now. Yeah. Colossians 117, mm-hmm. to your point. Yeah. And he is talking about Jesus, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And in excellent. I think yeah, that's, that's what you yeah. Like Absolutely. Glue, glue of the Thank you. What's what's the quote? I just want to make sure I say it in the microphone. Uh, Colossians one Colossians one seventeen. Colossians one and seventeen. That God does hold everything together. <laughs> Amen to that. So we just go to to, um, to verse 26 and finish off here. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over, the, rule over, did you hear? Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. We were designed to subdue the earth. Unfortunately, without God's in us, we not only subdue the earth, we can destroy the earth and destroy everything around us. And that's why man without God is trying to save the planet. Because they don't know how not to destroy the earth. So there you go. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. The, in the image of God he created him. That's said twice, isn't it? Make no mistake about it. There's no evolution here. We're not an accident. And then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and oh, subdue it. Rule over the fish. He says it again. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and all this stuff. Here's the point. If you accept everything we just read, and we didn't read read all of Genesis. We read all the beginning of Genesis. We skipped around a little bit. All of your problems with Scripture have been solved. They have been. If you accept what Genesis says, everything you could ask about Scripture, not about the detail, is God God? Yes. Is this creation separate from God? Yes. And all of these other things. Where did man come from? Why is he here? It's all settled. All false prophecies are answered in this first book of the Bible. Atheism claims that there is no God. What does Genesis say? Pantheism claims that God is in everything. Oh, how lovely. We just said in the beginning God created, which means that he is separate from his creation. Polytheism claims that there are many gods. Well, we know that there is one God. And he's called Elohim, which is the plural of singular, which is the only thing, that thing, the only being, the only anything that can be called singular and plural because God is triune. We just don't understand how that is built in eternity. We don't understand that, but we do know it's true. But there's only one God, one God. Materialism it claims that the universe is eternal. Genesis shows that that's not true. The universe is carved out of eternity, if you will. We're going to talk more about that as we get into the physical sciences. Humanism claims that man determines the ultimate reality. Genesis says that God alone determines what is real. Didn't we just say that reality is relative? The truth is not relative, but our reality is relative, and reality, again, is not what it used to be, and hopefully for us it won't be what it used to be now as opposed to weeks from now. After today, you'll have a lot to think about if you don't know some of these physical properties that we're going to talk about. So think about it. Humanism says that man has destiny, that they can make his own destiny, and that's where we're headed, aren't we? The one world government with one world leader to give us eternal life. Every time there's the the prospect of death for a nation or death for a people, there's always someone coming up saying, I'll fix it for you, just follow me and you will have something. By the way, didn't Satan say to Adam and Eve, hmm, did the Lord say, did God say that if you took of that tree of life that 
uh, or the knowledge of good and evil, that you would die? And they say, yeah. Oh, hmm. Well, you know, he really might not have meant that. Oh, really? Tell me more. Oh, you want wisdom. You want knowledge. That's what he's holding from you. Isn't that what we all want? We want to be something. We want to be honored for our knowledge. We want to know the universe. We want to be leaders. We want to have knowledge. We want to know what we're doing here. So everybody's got an answer. And the man or woman who has the strength to come to you as a human being and say, follow me, I have the answer, we do like sheep, right? Like lemmings off a cliff. That's what this is all about. Evolutionists claim that everything evolved and mutated gradually. God forcefully states in Genesis, I created this now. On this day, I created that. On that day, I created that. So do we have any problems here so far? The last one is uniformitism. Uniformitarianism. That's it. Boy, I wrote that. I can't pronounce it. Uniformitarianism. It claims that everything is moving along pretty much as it has under its own power. It started somehow. And it's going to, you know, ebb, history ebbs and flows. Didn't the, the Jews ask that in Scripture? Where's the promise of his coming? Because since our fathers fell asleep, all things are still the same. Anybody know that piece of Scripture? Anybody ever hear that before? It says that in Scripture. Because God's addressing that. Just because you or I in our timeline think that everything pretty much goes along for Jim and Joe and John and me and you, it doesn't mean that. It means God presides over the timeline and intervenes in history all the time. Just because we may not see it doesn't mean he doesn't do it. But there are times when it's very plain, and then do we give him the credit for it? Humans don't do that. Please turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. These opening verses immediately confront us with some key questions. We're going to talk about that. We're talking about Genesis, right? I want you to turn to Romans, chapter 116. But as you're turning there, we have answered a lot of the fundamental questions, all of the fundamental questions about what we're doing here, why we're here, and all of that stuff. Many say the universe is about 15 billion years old. How many believe that? It's a rhetorical question if you don't want to answer. It could be. Is it true? We're going to find out. Genesis says that the world was created in six days. Well, oh, they may not be 24-hour days. We're going to prove that. Starting next week, I'm going to show you through these signs and seasons. Remember I talked to you about astronomy versus astrology? Come back next week. I'm going, to, I'm going to show you some things that are documented that we can track, especially now with the tools we have to track the movements of the stars and the planets. Remember I also, I think it was last week, so some of you may not have been here, but we talked about briefly... How did the wise men know to see this thing called, we call the Christmas star in the east? Was it a star? How did they know? They weren't even Jews. Do you know where they were from? They were from Iran. They were from Persia. It took them two years. We, those of you who were here last week know that. It took them two years to go see Jesus Christ. They must have thought this was very important to travel for two years from there to, to Bethlehem. They also, these people were not a bunch of ragtag, uh, you know, uh, uh, just, you know, uh, shepherds or whatever you think they were, Bedouins just running around just trying to find somebody. These were kingmakers. These wise men had a whole entire entourage with them. They were rich. They were respected. They were kingmakers in and of their own realm. And their religion was Zoroastrianism. But they knew about this Messiah, which the Jews should be the same because most of them had no clue of what those signs were in the, in the sky. We're going to talk about those signs. We're going to talk about how they probably understood those signs. We talk about light years. Anybody know what a light year is? What's, the, what's a light year? The uh, time that light travels at 186,000 miles per second take a full year. 
Right. So it's a measure of distance, not speed. It's a measure of distance, not speed, basically is what you're saying. If I say that the nearest star is 1,000 light years or 200,000 light years, I don't know what it is. I can't remember. It's Alpha Centauri, I think. But Okay, so what's a light minute? The distance? 186,000 times. Right. The sun from us is eight light minutes away. Does that make sense? Which means that light from the sun takes eight minutes nowadays, or thereabouts, to reach us. So we're always seeing the sun as it was eight minutes ago. Well, people extrapolate that and say, well, I'm looking at stars that are billions of light years away, so their universe must be billions of years old. Uh-uh. Uh, how's the earth hung? Didn't God ask Job that question? If you were around when I formed the earth and had hung it in the, in the heavens, we know now, we know now, this is amazing. We know now that the earth was put in its specific place. You know, we're in the Milky Way galaxy. We're toward the outer edge of one of the arms of the galaxy. We are there specifically for a number of reasons. One of the major ones is the fact that we are in a position where we can see the universe from our vantage point. Now we have technology like the Hubble Space uh, uh, Telescope, the uh, space station. We know more about our local, our local group of stars in this local universe than anybody has ever known in this history. Reality is not, as, is not what it was. And we're finding out that our, our vantage point is specifically here so that we can observe the constellations, by the way. Remember I mentioned that? Signs. Signs. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. <laughs> I want you to come back. I want, remember the old shows with the cliffhangers? Oh, man, it's ended. It's been an hour already. Oh, boy. Come back next week. Got no commercial interruptions, though, so I don't get paid. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Here now is the basis for what we're going to talk about. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, which means it's only by faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since, listen carefully, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Really? You ask the average person, they're going to say this ain't plain to me. Well, God is saying it right here. What have I just discussed with the sciences showing us that proving that this is true if you know Genesis and you believe Genesis and the science can prove it, you should even have no problem with this. You should immediately bow down to your God and say, I understand, I need Jesus Christ, save me, because I'm going nowhere but to hell. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, oh, since Genesis, God's invisible qualities, and what are those invisible qualities that he has for himself, not within these four dimensions we call our own physical time space. So to us, they're invisible. Invisible qualities, okay? Um, his eternal power, his divine nature, and having clearly been seen, have being understood from what was made. Oh, being clearly understood from what he made. The stars, uh, everything, you, me, the, the, the DNA that we're made up of. Remember I told you about Sir Francis Crick, one of the co-discoverers of DNA in 1953? You know, he was an atheist. Then he believed the DNA could not possibly have evolved. So you know what he decided? I don't know if I told you this when I, when I mentioned that. He decided, well, I mean, he didn't say, I'm not going to believe in a God, but he couldn't because he was a scientist. So you know what he said? He developed a theory called panspermia. Everybody ever hear that theory? 
You have. You have. If you've seen that movie Expelled, by the way, you should see it. You should see it. It's excellent. It talks about this. So panspermia says that DNA is too complex to have evolved, so something must have created. It must be an intelligent design. Oh, but see? The problem is intelligent design for most people doesn't necessarily have to mean God. It could be aliens. So he came up with a theory that some aliens came out from their planet throughout space and found some suitable planets, one of them being Earth, and planted these things that had DNA in them and watch them grow. Isn't that great? Here's a scientist whose smarts su you know, supersede your smarts and my smarts, and yet he could not believe in God. What is this saying about a guy like that? There's another guy, and I can't remember his name. I keep on saying I'm going to find it, and I haven't done that yet. He's a physicist. That's one of the, the deeper, uh, deeper men in the think tank of particle physics. Remember I said you can keep having matter until you get down to the subatomic particles called quarks. If you get to the point of having that, the thing not just ceases to exist, but it actually becomes part of everything around it. You can't detect it anymore. Maybe, maybe it goes back into eternity. I don't know. But the point is, is that when they understood that this is a digital simulation, that this is not real, the guy committed suicide rather than believe in God. You know, they just finished this huge cyclotron in France. Did anybody, by the way, hear the political thing surrounding that cyclotron? That they worried about it's going to create a microscopic black hole that's going to suck the earth into it? You hear, anybody hear about that? Do you know why they're doing that? Why do you think they're doing that? Why do you think NASA keeps going to Mars? Why do you think Mars is so important? Why do you think we're building cyclotrons? Be right, but we're trying to use science to prove that God does not exist. We're spending billions and billions of dollars around the world to prove, to prove, because we need to prove that God does not exist. That's how vehemently we are against, because we know that what we see can only be created by this God that has revealed himself to us, and we as human beings will not have that. So we'll spend billions and destroy ourselves to prove that there is no God. I want you to understand that. I get, I get intense on this, because when I understand this, it's like this is, you have to know this. You have to know it. For they knew God, verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God, the image that they were made in. For images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles and cyclotrons and everything else of God does not exist. That's why they're going to get punished and that's why they're going to get judged if they're not Jesus Christ. So reality isn't what it used to be. We're going to take the next few minutes and we're going to talk about physics. Well, not physics, but not particle physics. We're going to talk about time space. So what are the key requirements, and they're very minimal, to exist in this sphere? Can we just open that door a little bit, please? I want people to hear me yell. They think I'm slapping everybody. I want you all to run out of here screaming in five minutes. <laughs> There's length, width, and height. If you don't have those, can you exist in this physical universe? You cannot. There's also one more component. It's actually four dimensions we live in. Anybody know what that other component is? Time. Okay, don't forget that. You have to understand time has been proven to be a physical property. This whole time space has been encapsulated into a larger, a, a larger thing called eternity. We don't know what that is. But it's, it has been said for, for actually very many years now that there are actually ten dimensions. We're a subset of those. Let's talk about that. I'm going to introduce to you in this last few minutes Mr. and Mrs. Flat. If you were in high school recently, because they didn't have this theory, I don't think, when I was in high school, but it's a good... I don't have an eraser. Can you hand me that eraser, please? Thank you. It's a good way of thinking about this. So we're going to talk about, for the last few minutes, Mr. and Mrs. Flat. Mr. and Mrs. Flat and the Flat family live in flatlands. 
Flatlands, unfortunately, has a, has, is, is a universe that is hobble because it only has three dimensions, not four. It has length and width, but it doesn't have height. So you can't imagine that, and I can't imagine that, but I'm making a point. So it does not understand three dimensions or, or, or our dimensions. It doesn't understand height. Take this piece of paper. It's flat, but does it have a dimension of height? It's small, but it does. Can you imagine no height? You can't. But let's say that they have no height. Here's their level of existence. All right? We're going to put some height in here because you can only understand the abstract of a dimension lower than yours to, to model it in your dimensions. And that's why we can't understand, but through this, we can try to understand what 10 dimensions is versus us. Okay? And I'm going to make a point of this. Here they are in here. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm in three dimensions. In the dimension of height, how close can I get to one of them? If they're wrapped within my dimension, okay, because I have height, so I see them, but they can't see me because I can come into their dimension. I'm doing that right now. Again, this is an abstract, but I want you to try to understand this. I could go up to Mr. or Mrs. Flat and go right up to their nose, but they won't know I'm there because they can't detect me because I'm in, I have a dimension of height which they can't see. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Right, that may be true, but they're still living in three dimensions. I'm trying to use this as an abstract to show you how, what we call miracles and what we call demonic activity and spaceships and aliens and all this garbage. It's just because the other dimensions can interact with us in the ways that defy our laws of physics. We don't understand that, so we, we call them anything. Here's the point. I can get up right to that person's nose and they won't see me. Do you think that there are angels not around us right now? Do you see them? Do you think God's not here with us right now? Do you see him? The only way he communicates with you is through your mind, through the link he has with your mind and your human spirit and his. Other than that, you cannot detect him. If I take my finger and I run it through laterally from top to bottom, what is Mrs. Flat going to see? My finger? Remember, there's no detection of height. They're going to see slices of something that's going to appear small, it's going to get wide, and it's going to get small again. Does that make sense? As I'm putting my finger, they're only going to see slices of my finger. They may, I mean, that's the only way I can describe it to you. Do you understand that? Here's another thing. When you hear of, of aliens and spaceships and you think, oh, you ever hear of aliens that they come here and all of a sudden they make a sharp left turn and they go, and they, at that speed, they can't possibly do it without destroying the craft. There's no physical way in the physical universe they could, they could be traveling a thousand miles an hour and then all of a sudden make a sharp right. Inertia would destroy the, 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 the spacecraft, right? But why can they do that? Here's why. Or, or traveling from one place to another very quickly. Here's why. Here's another thing. Here's Mr. and Mrs. Flat's home. On the flat surface, surface, there's Mr. Flat. Here's Mr. Flat. And here's something that to him is very far away. Mr. Flat and something very far away. Mr. Flat would have to travel on his time plane or his, his physical plane from here to get to there. But if I can put this thing within the context of three or four dimensions where we live, then I can fold it. And then I, as a three-dimensional person, or four-dimensional person with time, I can take these two points, put them together. So what's my travel time between the two points? Instantaneous. Do you understand what wormholes are about, things like that? That's using interdimensional travel. That's what we think anyway. That's how God may be traveling the universe. That's how angels can do all of the things they do. This is what they see, point A to point B, but because it is said that all of the dimensions are curled up in the other dimensions, 
And that's why we can take two dimensions and basically model curling them up into three dimensions, and then we can do whatever we want with this. But the participants in the only living in this dimension don't know what's happening because they can't detect it. This is the only science I wanted to show you today. And I want you to think about that. Because when you hear of spaceships and aliens, and by the way, one thing i got to tell you, and this is truth, the Catholic Church in May, their chief astronomer, uh, Jose Fuenes or Funes, Funes, they have two, the Catholic Church has two observatories, one in Rome and the other in Arizona. The head of the observatory, which the current pope installed into the position, the head astronomer of the Catholic Church, came out with a letter, and you can find it on the internet, you can read it, they interviewed the guy, and he says that it is okay and not bad for Catholics to believe in aliens. Do you know why he said that? Here's why. Because they are getting ready, the world is getting ready for a revelation that there has been alien intrusions in our universe. And that they have been dealing with aliens. Of course, they're demons. How do you think the power structure is getting ready to do all of the things that are going to happen? If you saw Ezekiel 38, people are getting mad. They're going crazy, especially the ones at higher power, because they're dealing with demons and they're coming to say that they're beings of light. They're aliens, whomever they are. They, people can say, you can say, I'm God. I'm just an alien, but I'll be the God that you think I am. And if you're Sir Francis Crick, you might think the creator has come who put the DNA here in the first place. But meanwhile, it's just a demon. But because of being able to do all this with us, they can play with our minds because we can't understand them. They're getting ready for an explosion. Already in Europe, it's starting to happen, and it will start happening in the United States, that all of this top, top, ultra-secret files of dealing with aliens and extraterrestrials are going to come out. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it as Christians when you start seeing anomalies? Has anybody ever seen a UFO? I have. Years ago. Al, you have. Anybody remember the Hills from Portsmouth back in 1960? The story about them being abduction? Do you think that's true? People say, well, it's not true. It was a matter of their psyche. They're going crazy. No, 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 no. It was probably true. There's too many sightings. Now with digital photography, there's too many sightings of all of these weird spacecrafts and lights in the sky that people can track. I know a guy, uh, not known personally, but I've heard him. He was flying a Cessna. He worked actually for Cessna, and he was flying an aircraft. And this huge spaceship came up by him, shadowed him for a while, and then it made a sharp left and went out of the way. If you know, there's one more thing that's a fact, and you can find this. When we did our first trip to the moon back in 1969, what they cut out of the telemetry and the, the, the back to the United States was, sir, there are, these babies are huge. They are a spaceship on the horizon of the moon and they're watching us and these babies are huge. They cut that out. Do you not believe that? Look it up. You know what, you get that in the forward of the uh, Nephilim book. You might just read that part. Before. Yeah, but I don't want to do that now because, I will, but I don't want to get into that now. We're going to get into that. Remember I talked about Nimrod and all that stuff, dealing with demons and all? We're going to get into more of that. Uh, so here, just to review. We talked about the physical universe. I hope I blew your mind a little bit, make you think about how we exist, how, what God built here. I want to prepare you for now. What we just did is talking about the plane within which God exists, which is totally far in our plane. But when they intrude, whether it's demons or angels or God himself, when they intrude into our dimensions, they can do anything they want. And it seems like miracles or it could be demonic activity. Either way, it's totally an anomaly to us. And that's where we look at miracles and things like that. So think about this, because when we get into more of Genesis, we're going to talk about how these demons have interacted with human beings and how they've been trying to water down God's plans through diluting Israel, through DNA, altering DNA. All of this that we take for granted as some kind of miracles or just demonic activity. Have a great week.